Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It was a busy week this week. We spent uh, the early part of the week in Washington, D.C. for the People's Action, People's Wave Convention, and that was with our national network, People's Action. But we're back, and we're ready to talk about a lot of top issues. Uh, later in the show, we're going to have some couple interviews from the convention, but for the first uh, couple segments... We got our full panel here, which means Robert Craig is with us here in the office. Robert? Good day, everyone. And, of course, Robert's the executive director here at Citizen Action. And, folks, the big news is Rebecca Lynch is back from the Wisconsin (laughs) Working Family straight out of New York City. Rebecca Lynch is with us. It's good to be back, Matt. (laughs) We missed you, Rebecca. You know, we're, we're just not the same show without you, so we're really thrilled to have you back. Really happy to be here. And we told our listeners uh, every time you were gone not to get upset that this was the most well-deserved, you had the most well-deserved vacation in the history of vacations. So anyways, so with that, though, we have got to talk, uh, our top story um, that we want to talk about is the Medicaid expansion, and that is because yesterday, uh, Wednesday, and we record Thursday, um, the Republican leadership, uh, Voss, Fitzgerald, Nigren, and Darling all announced to great, great fanfare, big media event, that they were going to reject Badger Care expansion, reject medical marijuana, reject minimum wage, reject uh, uh, the, 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 the getting rid of the corporate and special interest tax breaks, uh, uh, colloquially known as MANAG, but Anyways, so big news, and Tony Evers uh, this morning, Thursday, had a a big press conference here in Milwaukee to basically start to push back. Uh, Robert, obviously you're our resident expert here on this issue. Uh, This is a big deal. Um, This is not not normal uh, in terms of how budgets go where uh, the Republicans would come out ahead of any votes, especially very popular issues announcing that they are uh, not going to accept it this smells like trouble within the Republican caucus. Am I missing something, Robert? Well, as our listeners know, we're kind of in an age of norm-breaking, uh, national level as well. And so the norm is, so folks know, Joint Finance Committee has these public hearings, and it takes up issues one by one. It usually starts with the uncontroversial ones, the ones that everyone supports, like renaming highways after fallen, you know, war heroes, etc. And then finally, usually gets, after much deliberation and much discussion of options, to big votes on the big ticket issues, like health care and education, anything else controversial in a state budget. They have now announced ahead of the whole process of deliberation and voting, and they've just been listening to, to, uh, to people in the four public hearings around the state, that they're going to take out a bunch of issues. Usually in this phase, they take out policy. That is, things that aren't really budget items. They're thrown into the budget. But they've put in, a, uh, not only have they put in a bunch of, po- of, of actual budget issues, uh, and it, there's several other major ones, but the dominant one they've put in, which is huge, is uh, Badger Care expansion or Medicaid expansion. And so they're going to take this vote in seven days. So they've told us that they that in seven days they're going to remove the linchpin of Tony Evers' budget and something there where there's 70% public support and where, by our count, there were well over 100 witnesses, average people around the state, testifying in favor in the four public hearings around the state the Finance Committee held, and zero. We did not see one 
person come and oppose it, and yet they're going to unilaterally take it out. And I think you're right, Matt, about weakness, because also this week an Associated Press story by Scott Bauer, the bureau chief, came out uh, citing multiple Republicans looking for a compromise in order to take the Medicaid money to expand Badger Care. And so, and Speaker Voss went on Twitter and, and put hashtag never, and now we get this precipitous action, which seems to, to me like a sign of weakness and an attempt to prematurely end the public debate because they're losing the public debate. So, Rebecca, while you were gone, we had these, Robert mentioned these joint finance committee hearings, and it was unbelievable. Overwhelming support. Robert mentioned nobody testified against, and it was really uh, pointed out today at the media conference that this is appalling that right after, the first thing after getting public testimony, you go after the most popular thing in there. Uh, I know this probably doesn't surprise you, Rebecca, but like, uh, welcome back to Wisconsin. Yeah, <laughs> welcome back indeed. I mean, I am not surprised. I think that, you know, we were all to a certain extent, gearing up for something like this. But to take a step back and just appreciate the arc of actions from Republican leadership that have gotten us to this place. So starting, you know, with day zero, election day, the people of Wisconsin very clearly voted for Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes. They fired Scott Walker, and they did it because Tony and Mandela ran on a platform of expanding health care, of health care as a right, of fixing our roads, of the right to a strong public education and investing in our schools. And that's what people voted for. And the fact that Tony and Mandela won is no small feat. You know, first of all, they beat an incumbent, which is incredibly hard to do. Second of all, they came up against an incredible amount of money. And, you know, the dark money attack ads that we saw from the very beginning, for folks who remember the teacher porn case, right? I mean, from the right out the gate, um, attacking I forgot Tony about Evers. that. Right? <laughs> I well, forgot all about that. <laughs> they made him look like a playground lurker, Governor Evers. <laughs> yes. It was unbelievable. You know, so, so, you know, the dark money attack ads, you know, the disadvantage of running against an incumbent, the disadvantage of running against all of this money in general, the disadvantage of voter suppression, the disadvantage created by the dog whistling against everybody, but in particular against Mandela Barnes, who, as listeners know, is uh, a man of color from Milwaukee. And so they overcame all of these obstacles to win the election uh, because people are so sick and tired of what's been happening, number one, but number two, in line with the vision that Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes put forth. They want good schools. They want health care. They want lower premiums. They want better roads. And so that's what people voted for. So that's day zero. Ever since that day, Republicans have been just completely subverting democracy, subverting the will of the people in, in lots of small ways, but in three very big ways. So the first was, of course, um, starting before the election, gerrymander the lines, give themselves permanent government jobs. You can't fire them. So we could fire Scott Walker, but we can't fire them. So that was the first thing. The second thing is, as soon as the governor were ele was elected, the lame duck session tried to strip him of his executive powers. That's still playing out in the courts. And now this is, I see this as the third big thing, right? That we didn't just elect Tony and Mandela. We elected this platform. We elected action on healthcare. We elected action on schools. We elected action on redistricting. And they don't care what the people of the state wanted. So, so you know, I think that that's kind of how I see the arc of what's happened up to this point. And I think that uh, we have a really tough fight ahead of us. So fortunately, for us, 
the people are with us, and the folks who listen to this show and a lot of our members, a lot of the Working Families Party members, they get it, and they're prepared for action. This was like a gift in some ways because we kind of knew that these folks were not going to be for this. They have taken, or as Rambo said, they've drawn first blood and been very clear about how they're going to respond to the public opinion you just laid out. So we have the opportunity now. It is critical that we start uh, reaching out to our state legislators now and letting them know, because almost all of them had nothing to do with this decision, particularly if you have a Republican legislator. Now's the time to call them and let them know that this was not their decision. They now have a chance to lead. They are going to get a chance to vote for badger care, right, to vote against what they're doing, and we need to start putting the pressure on immediately. Robert. So remember, because a lot of folks that listen to Battleground Wisconsin are in the Fair Maps fight, this isn't, as one Citizen Action uh, leading member always tells me to say, and I should say more, this is an illegitimate legislature because they use gerrymandering for this majority, and then they're using that to just simply do what they want independent of what the public wants. And we don't think this is where all Republicans are. This is where the leadership is. Robin Voss represents Caledonia in that area. He was not elected by the whole state. And he, he only holds power through gerrymandering. And in response to the Marquette poll, which had 70% support for Badger Care expansion, he said he's a leader. So he seems to think, you know, if he doesn't listen to polls or the people, he's the decider, he is saying. I think this is all a sign of weakness, as I said, and that the blood is in the water. And, and we need to keep the pressure on. This is the time to step up and keep the pressure on. Uh, we have seven days. Now, Governor Devers, who said he'd fight like hell at the press conference, that was one of the stronger things I've heard Tony Evers say in a while, he's going to fight like hell, called upon the public to step in. So he's asking for civic engagement, for democracy to work like it did in preventing uh, Trump care and the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. And so the time is now. That's the point. And quite frankly, this is a contest between what is right for the state from a policy standpoint, what the people of the state want, what's in their interest, versus a, an undemocratic, unrepresented legislature that's holding power by illegitimate means. So Robert raises a good point there. Governor Evers really was animated today at the media conference about this issue. Uh, Brian, let's uh, play a little clip here from Governor Evers today here in Milwaukee in support of expanding Badger Care. So I'm here today with a message for the people of Wisconsin. I'm going to fight like hell for Medicaid expansion. I need your help to get it done. I need you to call your legislators. So, listeners, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. There's going to be a lot of stuff developing in the next seven days. You need to stay very attuned. Uh, please keep checking our uh, social media and other opportunities, but there will be developing opportunities to get involved. It's going to include a lot of activity in, some, uh, in, in potentially in districts, opportunities beyond just calling your legislator to go out potentially and do some field work, some canvassing. Um, we're going to really put the pressure on. We're going to work with our allies in the legislature and make this happen and all our partners. So uh, stay tuned. But with that, we got to take a break. Again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where citizen action will be right back after this message. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're citizen action. Uh, we are talking about uh, the, the huge news that the Republicans are going to, in joint finance, let's be clear, Republican leadership and in joint finance is planning on stripping, uh, expanding Badger Care out of uh, the budget. Uh, folks, 
our listeners, we need you to know that just because joint finance does this, so like we put pressure on, if they do this, it doesn't mean it's over, right? It, it's obviously a big step for Republican leadership uh, and for joint finance to do that. And it makes it certainly makes it hard, but by no means does it not mean that if there isn't pressure put on uh, a bulk of the uh, rank and file Republican leadership, that this cannot change. So anyways, though, with that, though, I want to just briefly change top I want to change topics because we have a big show our next segment two segments after this are going to be interviews with folks from our convention and so we want to hit a couple other issues big other news this week is around Foxconn um, the president met with Gao the, the Foxconn CEO the president or the governor the president did earlier this week you mean met, the president of the United the States the president of the United States met with Terry Gao Governor Evers wasn't invited. Um, I think we know what they were talking about. I think we know. Um, well, today, as we record, uh, Governor Evers is also going to meet with uh, the Foxconn head uh, to talk about, obviously, uh, what's, what is already known that these folks are not going to deliver. Uh, big news, though. Robert, your first thoughts, and then Rebecca, right to you after Robert. And remember, Terry Gao is leaving Foxconn to run for the presidency of Taiwan, so maybe Trump is talking about his new future ally. He doesn't get involved in foreign politics, As Robert. we speculated in the show, that's true, uh, that um, that a Foxconn deal was going to stay in place through Scott Walker's election, because that's all it was about anyway. It's also going to stay in place, on paper anyway, until the tr Donald Trump election. Remember, Donald Trump is trying to get reelected re at the end of 2020, and so it was interesting. Reporters at the press conference want to know, is going to be a change in the football of, 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 the, of the plant? And Tony Evers, who is, talk about no drama Obama, no drama Evers as well. This is one of the most cool and collected people you've ever seen, unlike us here on Battleground I was Wisconsin. Unlike me, I'm yeah. like, oh, I want to tear yeah. them apart. And so he said, well, we, we know it. They're reducing it from a 10G plant to a 6.5G plant, and that's smaller. So I don't. he can talk, tell him what he wants. I already know that. <laughs> Which yes. was, but very matter-of-factly, less <laughs> dramatically than I just said it. Yeah. Rebecca, your thoughts? Yeah, it's always um, exciting when I'm reading Charles Pierce, the nationally <laughs> syndicated columnist in Esquire. For listeners who don't know, I helps me get through this presidency really great yeah. column and i i see a name that i recognize uh, uh racine county supervisor nick dembski uh close ally and friend of citizen action organizer former wfp organizer fabi maldonado was quoted uh, in charles pierce's col column um actually which was quoting i think a wall street journal article but yeah i mean i think this continues to be national news i think that like in so many ways, we here in Wisconsin with this Foxconn deal are just like in the belly of the beast. You know, this is what the whole game is about. This is what this administration is trying to accomplish. Not only, you know, the president, but all of his supporters, um, foreign and domestic, um, and, and the people who he's appointed. Good point. So, you know, I think there's, you know, this is the whole game. And, uh, you know, just because a little thing like losing a gubernatorial election happened, they're not going to let that get in the way of the profit margins of Foxconn or of, you know, the political profit margins of, of the Trump administration. So I have no idea what, like, horrors they have in store or, or what specifically they discussed, but... Uh, 
I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know what to well, say. I mean, from the yeah. No, I was just gonna say, hey, uh, you mentioned Fabi, Fabi Maldonado. We had him on uh, the podcast while you were gone to talk about what it's like to be a, a you know, a part-time county supervisor trying to do the best job they can, having to fight a giant multinational corporation. When, quite frankly, a lot of other folks who ought to know better are ducking and covering and uh, leaving folks like the amazing Falby Maldonado to stand up. And, and a lot of the folks uh, in that area, including the woman who still hasn't sold her house, right? These are the true champions uh, who are standing up. So I was glad you mentioned that. I have a question. Isn't it outrageous that Tony Evers is meeting with Terry Gowan that the real leader of the state, Robin Voss is not in the meeting. <laughs> yes. How can that be possible? He's certainly acting, or he, he would like to. This is like dictators. They, they figure if they act like dictators, then they'll actually have the power. So hopefully Robin Voss is making some popcorn to watch the event. With that, though, we've got to uh, get to our uh, final topic. Uh, this week was May Day, a huge event for workers, uh, and particularly in Wisconsin and Milwaukee traditionally, and this year in Madison, uh, we have a great history, recent history, of huge events uh, in support of immigrants uh, and immigrant rights and workers uh, that uh, our partner Voces de la Frontera helps lead. Um, another amazing event. Uh, they took their action to the Capitol, which was extraordinarily appropriate given that driver's license for immigrants uh, and a number of other things are in the budget. Very important. Uh, Rebecca, I know May Day is incredibly important to you and your family. Um, your thoughts on uh, May Day in general, both here and anywhere? Yeah, I mean, I think there was a really powerful action in Madison, you know, organized as always um, by Voces de la Frontera, um, you know, really pushing uh, Madison legislators and uh, and the governor to stay strong and to support uh, driver's licenses for undocumented people. And that is like truly, oh, it, it's a human rights issue in our state for sure, um, but it's a workers' right issue. I mean, people are here to work. Our, our economy cannot cannot survive without their labor, um, whether it's the dairy farms throughout the state, whatever it is. And so we, they're here, they are working, they're contributing to our economy, and they're in a, at a state of constant fear, um, you know, not having driver's licenses at any point. They could be, you know, picked up for that, deported by, you know, Trump's uh, Customs and Immigration. Uh, but also, you know, it makes us all less safe. Like we, just, I, I just like it's a good policy. Anyway, uh, it was a really great action. Governor Evers is supportive of this. He tweeted and reiterated two like really extraordinary tweets yesterday. One was on the history of May Day, um, as International Workers' Day started right here in the Midwest in Chicago in the 1800s. It's like really remarkable to see him say that. Uh, and the second was reaffirming his support for driver's licenses for undocumented workers. And what is really important for listeners to know is that this issue and this action is, is not just specific to Wisconsin, that this is a national movement of undocumented workers really standing up and saying like, you got to give us our driver's licenses. We can't, we can't be, you know, under the radar in this country working and contributing and not have driver's licenses. And so whether it's in New York where governor Cuomo has been supportive, um, but the Republican state legislature in the past has blocked it. They now have a democratic state legislature, but as listeners will know, not all Democrats are progressives. And so now we've got to convince some of these 
weak-willed Democrats to, to get on board with this or in New Jersey or throughout the country. And so that was like a really powerful theme running throughout the United States May Day that I thought was really important. Um, but of course, you know, this day is celebrated throughout the world, whether it's the yellow vest in Paris where police, you know, there was tear gas, there was um, real scuffles with, with the state or, you know, places like my, my friend in the West Bank sent me photos from Ramallah. Uh, they had stuff going on in Cuba, European countries, South American countries, all over the world. Workers are are acting for May Day. So it's really powerful and it's really um grateful to be in Madison yesterday with so many workers and activists. So Rebecca did a great job pointing out that May Day actually was invented in the United States. You'd hardly know it because May Day is generally a bigger event elsewhere, even though um, the American labor movement in the 19th century invented May Day. Uh, but furthermore, May Day is about workers and concrete advances for workers. And so we know that that immigrants came here to be workers because uh, companies want to hire them as workers and to work, and that the immigrants' might move, rights movement is also a workers' rights movement. And the thing is, as awful all the atrocities along the border, the caging of children, we could go on and on, uh, the, the, the census question designed to disenfranchise people, et cetera, as bad as all that is, the important thing to think about in addition to opposing and resisting all of that is, is that we can make concrete gains as other states are doing, that actually make folks who are living in the shadows a regular part of our society to take their rightful role. So it may seem like a driver's license is not a related issue. It is. It's about saying that folks are here, they're working, they're part of our community, and if you're part of our community, you should be able to get a driver's license so you can get around, right, because we don't have great public transportation. Uh, particularly when it comes to getting to work. And in addition, it's unsafe for you not to be able to be licensed to drive. If you can work and live in the United States, which all these folks are doing, obviously, you ought to have the basic human right to have a, to have a driver's license, and it's in our interest. And so this is a way, this is a great litmus test, because you'll have some politicians who say, I don't want to cage kids at the border. But then if they really want to help folks become take their rightful place in our society and have basic human rights, then you need to take concrete steps like this. So we want to obviously thank VOSIS, thank everybody who showed up uh, to any May Day event. Uh, also want to make folks aware here in Wisconsin, also in addition, uh, uh, MU educators uh, had a May Day action. They are organizing a union. Uh, look into that and support them. Again, uh, Marquette University. With that, though, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have an interview from the People's Action Convention. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome to The Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and we have another special interview for you from the People's Action Convention here in Washington, D.C. We've been out here all week, and we have Robert Borisage joining us. Robert's a leading progressive writer. He writes for The Nation. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have read him there. But he is currently with the Congressional Progressive Caucus Center here in Washington, D.C., a, a leading think tank that works on pushing progressive ideas. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about, uh, well, first of all, Robert, welcome to, the, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. So, Robert, um, wanted to talk with you a little bit about the presidential race, and in particular, because uh, you've written quite a bit about this, um, but in particular sort of what some people describe as the divide within the Democratic Party. Uh, 
that uh, certainly Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren represent, but potentially some other candidates, and just get your thoughts on how important this debate and discussion within the Democratic primary is that's going to be coming up. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, many uh, Democrats, I think, are very worried. We've got 22 candidates now in the presidential race. They're worried that they're going to tear, tear themselves apart, and, it, and they're desperate to beat Donald Trump, so they want unity and et cetera. But the, what the reality is that uh, Trump is really a symptom of the problems we have, not the cause of them. And unless we uh, have a party that is championing an agenda for people that deals with uh, the ways they have gotten trampled over the last uh, decades, uh, we're gonna, he's going to be a very hard candidate to beat. And so the kind of there's a default notion, I think, among Democrats that well, we ought to be we ought to elect a moderate because moderate will have a gr broader appeal, and and will be able to isolate Trump. But in a sense, we tried that strategy last time uh, with Hillary Clinton, uh, and uh, we allowed the most unpopular president presidential candidate in the history of polling to become president with that strategy. And Trump's argument was very specific which was this economy doesn't work for you and this establishment is cleaning up and profiting from it and you're not and I, I will fix it. Well, that was a lie, yeah. but that's the challenge he poses. And what's exciting about the Democratic primaries now is you've got that argument big time in the field. Obviously, Bernie Sanders, carrying it from four years ago, uh, is leading on the progressive side. Elizabeth Warren has uh, really been extraordinary in putting out big ideas and bold ideas, and I think she'll rise in the polls. Um, and you have other candidates forced to respond to the Sanders agenda, Medicare for all, tuition-free college, et cetera, kind of tacking their, their uh, sales to the left. And so this is a big argument. Uh, with Joe Biden getting in, it's an even bigger argument yeah. because Biden's candidacy is really uh, predicated on a restoration that, uh, you know, we've we've got this madman in the White House. We have to get rid of him. And I, Joe Biden, represent, as he does, a restoration to the policies and the stability of the old. The problem with that position is the policies and stability of the old didn't work for most Americans. That's right. Uh, and we need some radical change. And so that's the fight we're going to have in the Democratic primaries. It's a fight worth having. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And I, I and, and the way I see it is I see the Sanders war and really taking on what I've described as the neoliberal economy, whereas the other candidates, I think, are much more happier to swim within that. And um, I want to get to what you were talking about, which is sort of like the campaign strategy, because I had this discussion with... Um, uh, sort of a high-level political type in Wisconsin, uh, former party chair, actually. And th their theory, right, this, this idea that you have to hold the center, right, that somehow there's this fairly decent-sized center of voters who are, you know, worried about anything that tacks too far to the left or the right, which to me seems to be a kind of a really false, it, it doesn't really exist. It may have existed 30 years ago, but folks have moved quite a bit in some ways to different pillars and what I sense is that we really struggle on the left or in the Democratic Party to actually get base voters excited to get people that have been left out of the neoliberal economy into the process and feel like anyone actually represents them 
and that if we don't actually and that that's a much larger group of voters that we need to energize than worrying about some sort of center that is sticking its fing finger up in the air and trying to figure out you know which candidate is the closest to the center um, I'm not sure that that group of voters is that large or even really exists in any kind of large numbers where it might have 30 or 40 years ago well, I, I, I think you're definitely right about that. And we saw that with Obama winning a majority of the vote and the presidency two years in a row, despite a middle name of Hussein yeah. and <laughs> Barack as a first name, with a massive mobilization of, of people who were new to the polls. Yes. Uh, and we saw it with Hillary losing to Trump, whereas she, if she had gotten the same turnout in Detroit and in Milwaukee yes. among African-American voters, she would have won that election. Uh, and so uh, ignoring the need, uh, the kind of assumption about the center has a, a set of assumptions that are false. It assumes that the number of people who vote is fixed. Yes. That's false. Uh, a good candidate, an exciting candidate, mobilizes votes and brings people out. Trump did that on the right. He brought out the right-wing vote. It wasn't a majority vote, but it brought out uh, and attracted people to it. Secondly, it assumes that uh, a moderate uh, can attract people in the middle. The way you attract people in the middle is by having energy in your candidacy. That was the Obama phenomena. There was energy, this fresh face yes. coming out of movements against the war. You know, a, a, a totally new position, we, we thought. And he attracted people from the center no big doubt. time. No doubt. I, I, and I've talked to people who tell me they voted for Trump and they also voted for Obama in 88, right? And that's a it's hard for some of us to wrap our brains around, but I think what you just said is part of it, right? It's not, people don't have this ideological left to right, um, di I guess on one plane uh, that are in the middle. They are actually maybe not ideological and they're looking for someone who inspires them, has ideas, seems authentic. And, and this idea that some... Uh, and is going to change things. Yes, and is going to actually <laughs> change their change lives. Things. That's actually one of the things that I heard from them. This was a person who had said, look, my business was getting crushed, small business owner, um, in around o the time of Obama. And I had hope that, that he could have a vision that could change things, right? It was that hope, right? Um, so I think that that's critical, and I, and I do think that that's an important part uh, that has to be part of the message. The other thing that I think this ignores is Trump unifies Democrats and most independents against yeah, him. Yes. And so this is the perfect time to elect a progressive candidate, <laughs> uh, to nominate a progressive candidate, because Trump will help unify the, uh, independents and and Democrats that's against That's exactly him. what I told that political consultant. I said, first of all, I think we're, we can win, quite frankly, no matter who, because Trump has vulnerabilities. It's the best opportunity to elect someone who actually represents our values because you have all these voters available because Trump has so offended them, right? They're open to any kind of vision that will maybe provide some opportunity to them to change their, their situation. And let's just go back to your argument about the economy, which I think is key. Trump's p position to people, the proposition he's making to people is this is the best economy ever. Wages are going up, unemployment's at record lows, uh, and I've done this. Now, you can unpack the lies about that, but he's, he's, he's now running on, I've made America great again. The candidate who beats Trump is a candidate who can say to people, if this is as good as it gets, right, we've got to make radical changes because your kids can't afford college, you know, too, too many of you can't afford decent health care, yeah, retirement security is under assault. Uh, you know, you're working two jobs just to make ends meet. 
40% uh, of the country can't put $400 together for an emergency. This isn't right. And we're not even dealing with the big problems of climate, et cetera. And so it takes a progressive populist uh, alternative who's assaulting the way this political economy works to go after the basic proposition that Trump's making as his reelection plea. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I, it's interesting. Um, uh, we were talking before we started uh, in Wisconsin, a recent poll came out. It's called the Marquette poll. It's, it, it comes out like every four months, so you can track things in time. Um, Sanders, in the most recent poll, went up from like 20 points to 32, and Biden slightly went down. But um, if you combine Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren's polling, they're at 49%. So you literally have like half of the Democratic Party polling voters showing that they want a really different alternative, something that speaks to them, which I think is bringing up what you talk about, which is pretty amazing in a field that has, as you said, 22 candidates, that two could have that that much of a, a, a hold on, on the polling. Want to get your thoughts on Biden now, just has officially announced. Um, this morning I got up and NB, uh, CNN was saying there's new polling showing Biden has a very strong lead. Your thoughts on, you know, this dynamic uh, within the party and a Biden or somebody else versus, say, a, a Sanders or or, or, uh, or, or Warren? Well, <coughs> Biden right now represents uh, Barack Obama. And so uh, Barack Obama is the most popular public official in the Democratic Party. Uh, and so it's not surprising that he has universal name recognition and he has that aura. And so the initial reaction is very positive. Uh, and his rollout was, you know, went after Trump personally, so it's perfect. Um, the, uh, but I myself, I think Biden fades. I don't think he has any answers to the questions that face this country. And I think in the face of a Sanders, a Warren, and even some of the other candidates tacking uh, their way, our way, um, that Biden will not will seem more and more on the defensive. He's got to defend a trade policy that's indefensible. He's got to trade uh, defend a war policy that's indefensible. Defensible. He's already dealing with Anita Hill and his his uh, those things. And so, uh, I think all these early polls are very misleading because most of them are name recognition, and people are still just getting used to who's out there. Uh, and you'll see. Uh, I think uh, he's going to have a, a hard time in this field. Robert, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Um, and again, we want to encourage our listeners, uh, check Robert's work out at The Nation. You can, uh, he, he writes regularly there and will continue to be writing about this presidential, which it's going to be historic. It's going to, not only the size of the field, but just the, the kind of candidates we have running. I, in my lifetime, we've never had this diversity of, of ideas and different kinds of candidates with different backgrounds, which is exciting. I mean, in my lifetime, we've never seen this kind of a progressive agenda put forward forcefully to Americans. So it's, it's, it's going to be exciting. It's exciting. Thank you, Robert. And that concludes our interview with Robert Boris. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and we are broadcasting special segments at the People's Wave, the People's Action Convention, which is a national convention in Washington, D.C., of a national network of organizing groups. There are 37 groups, and Citizen Action Wisconsin is one of them. We're building national power together. 
And one of our favorite uh, partner groups is Michigan United, and they've been very successful, just like we have in Wisconsin, at Citizen Action in Wisconsin, electing some local leaders and, and members to office. At another segment, at a new state representative, to a new state representative, but we're talking right now to a new city councilwoman, uh, Tasha Green from the city of Westland. So thank you very much for joining us, Tasha. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So why don't you tell our listeners briefly a little bit about your story, how you got interested in elected office uh, what, and, uh, and how you were connected to, to organizing in the Michigan United or the, their C4 num name as well. The, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Michigan People's Campaign. The People's Campaign, yes. yes. Well, I had been searching for a political home. Um, of course, uh, you know, uh, uh, most people are aware of the political climate. Uh, but even before Trump's election, I had been searching for an organization um, that was not afraid to speak truth to power, and walk the walk in terms of fighting for justice for the people. Um, I've been a long-term member of several progressive organizations, well-known national progressive organizations, mm -hmm. and I uh, began to feel that they were a bit watered down in terms of um, taking the fight to 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 power. Um, you know, lots of meetings, lots of emails, but no real action, no real results. And so I uh, learned about Michigan United through a friend of mine. And I began to attend their meetings, and you know, I was sold from the very beginning. I, I fell in love with uh, their message, what they stand for, um, the fight for all people, that everybody is welcomed in the room, and if you don't open up the door, we're going to kick it down. Uh, going to Lansing, um, doing actions, and you know, just fighting for 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 the rights of everybody. You know. Um, so, you know, once I learned about them, I was sold. And, and uh, from there, you know, things just progressed in terms of my um, involvement in the organization. So tell us a little bit about our Wisconsin listeners across Wisconsin, uh, what you, why you want to run for office and what you want to accomplish, how you want to change your community. Well, I ran and successfully won. Uh, my story is not much like, uh, not much different from a lot of progressive uh, candidates who, who uh, successfully won their seat. Um, I was a no-name in the city of Westland, Michigan, did not grow up there, didn't have many friends or family who could run out and vote for me. Um, the race that I, the city council race that I ran, there were four open seats at the time, so there were 16 of us running for four open seats. And out of the 16 of us, 15, the other 15 were from the city of Westland. Um, I did not have local support from my mayor. Um, or any of the local politicians, with the exception of one city councilman who endorsed me. Um, and so, you know, I, I faced tons of opposition in terms of where did you come from, uh, wait your turn, uh, you know, we don't want you here, so to speak. Um, didn't have much support, uh, not much money, uh, but we worked our butts off. Michigan United, um, really supported me. Um, labor heavily supported me. Um, I come from a labor family, and uh, we did the work. And, and, you know, there were a lot of issues that I had already been involved in in my local community, um, such as um, the lack of um, uh, investment in the parks and the, the, the sides of town that were predominantly African-American in my city, which is the side that I lived on. Um, what some would consider to be harassment by the police. 
um, speaking mm -hmm. on those type of issues, speaking on the lack of street lighting and the lack of safety and some of the issues that aren't uncommon in, in unfortunately, a lot of cities. And so um, I'd already taken a leadership role in terms of being a, an advocate for the people. And so, you know, again, my mayor and the administration did not want me to get elected, but in November, of 2017 on election day, uh, although with all the opposition, I came in first place in election day votes and there was only a three vote difference between me and my mayor. So I was a complete no name um, who had to totally climb uphill and we did it. We did it. We took the message to the people. We knocked doors until I'm trying to tell you, I don't know how many pair of shoes I wore out. Um, you know, uh, phone banking until I, I could barely speak, uh, you know, t t to where you forget to eat, you know, really working. Um, and uh, lots of prayer, lots of prayer, lots of uh, people, the community supporting me. And I was elected as the first African-American city councilwoman in the city of Westland, That's Michigan. Great. Absolutely, which was very indicative because my it, it was indicative of the change that my community wants because the city I come from, Westland, Michigan, or where I've lived in for the last 14 years, it is 80% white. And so every other uh, minority group makes up the 20%. So, you know, and, and with me not being known, the chances of me having been elected based on the odds were very slim. Uh, but I'm very, very grateful to my community. And since then, um, you know, since getting elected, I have established a reputation within the city or within, you know, my uh, community as being one of the only, if not the only, uh, according to some person on council who really stands up for the residents. Uh, I made it clear when I got there, I will never vote against the interests of the residents. I will make sure that transparency means just that, that they will know what's going on in here. I will make sure that they know how we're voting and what the vote means. And um, just being present and not when it's time for the next election. I have a four-year term and I, you know, am in my community and making sure that they hear from me all the time. So this is Battleground Wisconsin and we're recording live from the People's Action National Convention and we, we're talking here to Tasha Green, city councilwoman from the city of Westland in, Mich in Michigan and a member of our sister organization, Michigan United. So. It sounds like since you had to campaign across constituencies that even though you're the first African-American member of the council there that you couldn't win entirely with African-American votes and so no. you crossed over. So what do you think caught on? Because we need to represent people who, aren't, who are underrepresented but we also need to build majorities, right, to win elections. Absolutely. So what do you think caught on with all your talk? Was it, I mean obviously all of the doors you did is huge mm -hmm. because knowing someone is critical, but obviously you had something to say that they liked, right? Absolutely, and Westland is actually the 10th largest city in, in the state of Michigan. I had no idea it was we are, Yeah, wow. we're the 10th largest city. We have 85,000 residents and no districts, which actually makes it harder for right. people of color to get in office because I had to work the, or to cover as much of the entire city as I could because we don't have districts. It's what the Jim Crow South used oh, to absolutely. do. Oh, like, absolutely. Members of Congress, when there were huge African-American areas were 
uh, they did state all statewide, yeah. which you could do under the Constitution yeah, to make sure that African Americans didn't yeah. weren't represented. Minimal right? representation. Yeah. So we really worked hard. But what I think uh, made the difference is that when I ran for office, I did not try to sell them. Uh, you know, th this perfect uh, candidate. I let them know who I was, that, you know, um, I, when I look at you, you know, it's speaking to the community. When I look at you, I'm looking at myself. I'm one of you. So I will never vote against you because that would be me voting against myself. I was very honest. Um, you know, and, and just told them, you know, my story. You know, I, I was a teenage mom. Um, you know, I, I, I know what it is to try to make ends meet and not have enough. Or, you know, as soon as you, you, you feel like you've made some headway, here comes some more taxes or some more medical bills and all of that stuff. So I was just very honest. And I think a, a lot of times people want to sell the community this cookie-cutter um, politician person and we're sick of it I don't want to deal and, and I you know and I'll tell them in a minute I'm not a politician I was elected as one but people want to be represented by somebody who's going to stand up for their interests and that's exactly what I promised them and I have not deviated from that I will never deviate from that so just speaking honestly with passion um, and then being able to relate to me, you know, and me wanting to know more about them instead of, hey, vote for me and I'll see you in four years. You know, being, being present, being honest, I think that made all the difference. I think you are so right. The business of politics is such, I mean, it's so discredited in many ways that people who seem like politicians, who seem like they're handling you mm -hmm. and just trying to get your vote, not listen to you, will lose every time to someone who actually comes through as a real person. Yeah, you, I mean, by the time you get done talking to him, you, you actually want to go and take a shower in some cases. It's, it's pretty uh, disappointing, you know. So um, I definitely don't want to be elected by a quote-unquote politician or, uh, you know, a um, career politician or even these uh, establishment politicians. You know, it's time for people to step up um, who are brave enough to do it and represent the interest of people who need representation and and the lack the justice that we all deserve and that is what I that's how I lead and I put their interests first and again I cannot vote against them because in my opinion it's voting against myself and I I am one of them I am the community and when I got elected we got elected and that is how I will continue to serve so I have no doubt uh, that if the developers come to you and want some fancy project with all the taxpayers' money that isn't going to benefit average people, that you will have no problem saying no. Oh, we'd have to do another story for yeah. me to update you on all the opposition that I've, I'm getting from some of my, many of my peers because of the type of uh, transparency I've brought to the council that in terms awesome. of absolutely not, we're not going to do it. And it is causing an, an, an awakening within the city of Westland, within my so community. So we're, we're out of time, but I like the awakening. Let's yes. end on the awaiting, awakening. We've been talking to Tasha Green, a newly elected city councilwoman, the city of Westland, the 10th largest city in Michigan, yes. and she's a member of our sister organization and we're closely on her election, Michigan United. And so it's been great to talk to you. So thank you very much for joining us, Tasha. Thank you. So with that, we'll see you next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin.